I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Martin Littman, CISO and Chief Technology Officer for Kelsey Seabold Clinic, a large multi specialty clinic system located in Houston, Texas. Martin will be speaking to me about how his organization is approaching its business continuity and backup planning in the event of becoming a victim of ransomware or other disruptive cyber attacks. So Martin, we've been seeing a spike in ransomware attacks hitting the healthcare sector, especially during COVID-19. What sorts of cyber threats has your organization been dealing with during COVID? And how are you bolstering your defenses and preparedness to deal with these threats? You know, it's interesting, Marianne. We were hit with ransomware before ransomware was cool, if you will. It was, I think, 2014 when a couple of individuals visiting a compromised daycare site talking about their daughters in daycare ended up getting malware onto their devices. One was a physical device and one was a virtual device. And so we literally had a a very slow moving malware infection that we quickly identified. And while I won't go through the details of that, what it did was it sent a mental state to me, to my team and to our executives, just because we are Houston local, just because we're US based, doesn't mean that we aren't at risk from intentional attacks or unintentional attacks that occur by way of this type of malware. So we had at that time already in place a backup and recovery process for our data, which really was our savior towards recovering from that ransomware event. But many things have changed since then as well, as well as the evolution of the ransomware itself. But we have continued to follow a strategy that we had in place, and then we further modified it over time. And so when you're dealing with the risks now posed by the shift to remote workers and telehealth, what are you seeing? What sorts of new threats? How are you fending that off? I do believe that the attack surface has broadened to some extent because we do now have the risk of not just people on our network and the potential to our own devices of being attacked, but other people's networks. Now there's, there's certainly one dimension of that, which is mitigating how they come in to our network remotely. So we do most of that through VDI, not through VPN. And because of the layers associated with that connection into VDI, we do have an amount of prevention over somebody's infected machine introducing an infection into our environment. That doesn't mean that infection can't still come through malware or through some delivery through email. So we have taken some steps, for example, to limit access to personal email on our network, for example, as one step just to reduce the email vector in addition to the strong email security that we already have in place. But I do believe that the attack surface has broadened to every individual person who connects to our network in any way. So now, as you know, some of the ransomware and other cyber attacks we've been seeing are also targeting entities' backup storage, backup systems. What are you doing to prevent those backup systems from being at risk? That's an excellent point, Marianne. As I said, if I go back to the event that occurred back then, the kinds of things that they're doing today weren't as pervasive as they are in the malware that it's introduced today. So 
snapshots that now the malware not only knows that you've got snapshots or backups, and it goes and searches for them and attempts to delete them and remove them. So there are some steps that we have done. There are immutable snapshots and backups that can be, can be done today. For example, Pure Storage, which is one of our major storage vendors, has a safe mode for their snapshots. And that is certainly a mitigating factor to preventing a snapshot from uh, or a backup from being deleted. And there are some other strategies as well. And I'll just, uh, a couple of them. So for instance, we use uh, backups and we use multiple arrays. So we may have a backup captured in one array, but it's replicated to another array and possibly to a, a tertiary array. And so each of those arrays, we may use unique identities and or dedicated service accounts to manage the access to that array. And basically it's a, uh, an obfuscation approach in addition to the backup and recovery. So now, Martin, how has your business continuity plans changed over the last year as you've been dealing with COVID-19? You mentioned learning from that incident a few years back. How have things changed? How is the threat landscape changing where you have to now go back and look at your business continuity plans and make sure that everything's you know, up to date in order to deal with the latest? So in our particular case, we are actually today, this year, in the throes, if you will, of expanding our data center capacity into a second data center with backup and recovery. So we are looking at a range of solutions to continue to mitigate our disaster recovery approach from a combination of secondary and replicated storage systems and backup and recovery that's redundant, making use of S3 object storage for some of the backup targets, combining that with some DR in the cloud, which of course would be behind a set of cloud security, not our topic today, but an essential piece of backing up whatever you put into the cloud is wrapping security around that as well. So we will, again, going back to the first statement I made about remote work, which I think we were well prepared for more than many some maybe some other organizations were, but we have to put security where the people are, where the devices are, and not put it there and then forget about it. It is a constantly evolving process of testing it, validating that it's working, exercising it through various kinds of defense measures or, or doing penetration testing, all those kinds of things. In terms of your data center, is it something that you run on your own? Is it a vendor that deals with that? And what are some of the issues in terms of extra procedures or, or extra controls that you need to be aware of or implement now when you're dealing with vendors and the fact that they're also being targeted for cyber attacks such as ransomware? Our data center actually is run in a colo facility, but it is our gear, our space, our people that are running it. In, in the case of our data center, it's about 100 plus miles from our home office. So I do have a couple people that reside in the area, in the Bryan College Station area in, in Texas, near Texas A&M. And in the second site we're looking at, we're looking at a second colo facility. So many years ago, I decided it was just, I'm an IT person. Um, I do facility stuff at my home. I don't need to do it for the company. So we find that we find that better. We also control who goes in and out of the data center, therefore. And that means whether they're physically accessing the data center 
or they're coming in through a support connection. But most certainly the supply chain vector is also something that we need to look at. We have a fairly limited number, like almost zero third parties who literally have access to our infrastructure that isn't hosted or managed through us getting them access. I think where people have third parties that support their solutions without getting into that access is a, is a significant risk. And my advice to people would be those connections should be proxied, managed, hosted, observed, recorded to cover yourself. And finally, Martin, looking out to 2021, what's at the top of your data security, data privacy priority list? I would say to some extent, it's more of the same. As I mentioned, we have a significant data center implementation in process. We began last year implementing a CASB solution that we will, we're working through that implementation now. We have migrated from a position that was fairly cloud adverse to cloud appropriate, if you will, my terms. And so that's a step forward. We also have a significant number of discrete components of identity management that collectively, I think, provide us some excellent identity management, but we are looking at changing that identity management solution to a formalized process with a tool to improve that space. But I would say, going back to some of the points I've made where you need to be aware if there is somebody in your environment. So if you do not have a handle on all the people who have access to your environment, you don't know what their accounts are, you don't know who they're issued to, you don't have contact information for them, you're not doing authentication of them as they're coming through, that's where your risk lies. Thanks, Martin. I've been speaking to Martin Littman. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.